0: Welcome to 96 Greers, a podcast where we watch every feature film with Judy Greer in the cast. I'm Reg. And I'm Patrick. It's episode 18. Uh, this episode is being released the week before Hanukkah 2023, and we are watching The Hebrew Hammer.
1: Mm-hmm. From uh, 2003, directed by Jonathan Kesselman. It's a uh, comedy that's a uh, sort of a exploitation parody, but in this case, um, the central joke is what if instead of black jewish right so uh, hence the name the hebrew hammer
0: it's got very silly energy to it um and we've got judy greer in in a pretty meaty supporting role true um as a as a a badass ass-kicking jewish babe
1: certainly one of the biggest comedic roles she's had up to this point in her career in 2003 when you look at like sort of the start of her career It was like Wedding Planner and this are kind of the two biggest comedy roles that she had, probably. Uh, Had you seen this before?
0: I remember hearing about this, maybe seeing ads for it, but I didn't watch
1: it. Let me ask you uh, a relevant question. Did you watch Comedy Central from like 2000 to 2005? Mm. Like, did you watch that early aughts era of Comedy Central?
0: Yeah, a little bit. I mean... This was this was when I was in college and I wasn't watching a lot of TV, right? Or well, I certainly didn't pirate anything illegally because you <laughs> wouldn't download a car. I wouldn't uh, download a car personally. <laughs> um, but uh, I'd have no way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I guess I guess it was like you know, unless it was like. Um, you know, summer visiting my parents. I wasn't doing a lot of channel surfing. Sure, sure. Um, So I've seen things like, you know, South Park, of course, and Chappelle's show and stuff like that. Um, But I wouldn't say I was much of a completionist when it came to Comedy Central in that era.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in Texas without any cable at all. And then we moved uh, to Chicago in the Chicagoland area in 2001. And that was when we got cable. Mm -hmm. And I was in eighth grade. And it was just like, oh, okay, I guess I just live at Comedy Central. I, I... I, I live in the basement yeah. on my own, so it's like I'm watching Comedy Central and I'm staying up till three a.m. and they s- literally stop programming. And then I go, well, I guess Comedy Central's done. Then I'm turning into. <laughs> uh, so I watched a lot of Comedy Central. This, this, I'm asking because this aired as a quote unquote Comedy Central original movie, right? Um, that was sort of its debut. This, I, if it got any kind of theatrical release, it was tiny. It's a very low budget movie, um, but it was sort of heralded as an early uh, Comedy Central original movie. Um, in that era and it really like you watch it and you're just like this is Comedy Central in 2003 even though it didn't originate from that channel like it's so fucking absorbed in the like tone yeah. and the culture of what comedy was in that sort of post South Park era
0: yeah I uh, so and, and I think it's also important to say at the top uh neither of us are Jewish True. I, I think we have both Probably talks on previous episodes about um, our respective Irish Catholic upbringings, mm-hmm. uh, but if this is your first time uh, joining us uh, for ninety six careers, a welcome. B. Neither of us are Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> um. So th- this movie's not inside baseball for us. No. As far as um early aught style comedy, I definitely agree with you. There's uh, there's a enough like scatological humor. It's kind of. Uh, Got a real, like, loose cartoonish kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of get the sense that Jonathan Kesselman, who also wrote the script, maybe grew up watching, um, like Airplane and other, other, uh, z- was it Z- zazz yeah yeah other, now, other zazz joints uh
1: everyone in zazz as well as mel brooks both jewish uh yeah. <laughs> they're all jewish directors all big influences on this movie yeah
0: yeah and, and they all have that kind of um zany uh you know let, let's let's break the laws of reality when it's funny kind of yeah. approach to humor um, um
1: so uh did you I, th- I feel like there's a lot to get into and maybe we should just like Uh, recap the plot as it as it is absolutely uh, before we do
0: absolutely get hip to this santa claus is murdered by his cutthroat capitalist son damien damien is also an anti-semite who wants to destroy hanukkah The only person who can stop Damien's evil plan is Mordecai Jefferson Carver, the Hebrew hammer, a certified circumcised dick who is called into action by the Jewish Justice League. Mordecai teams up with beautiful JJL agent Esther Blumenbergen-Steinenthal and Muhammad Ali Paula Abdul Rahim with the Kwanzaa Liberation Front. But is it enough to stop Damien's plans for making the children forget about Hanukkah?
1: Big, broad comic book uh, sort of a plot there. Yes, which is indicative of the tone of the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I would say by by the end of the movie, we've pretty much stepped outside of the kind of um, stories that you would see in black exploitation movies, oh, yeah. and and yeah, into a more like comic book sort of realm. So,
1: so uh, we didn't even get into this yet. Did you like this movie?
0: You know, I did. It's a very dated comedy in a lot of ways. Um, you know, uh, I I guess this was kind of my era of comedy, um, you know, uh, being like, you know, late teens, early uh, early 20s, where you kind of, you know, form your sense of humor. Um, so I, I won't say that I'm, you know... Uh, completely divorced from it but it does have a lot of drawbacks um i will say this movie didn't do as much punching down as i thought it would that's true but it still does a fair amount of punching down yeah um but uh i it was funnier than i thought it was going to be um i liked the characters uh more than i thought um it was a lot cleverer around how um, how like Jewish culture and black exploitation tropes are kind of melded together. I appreciated that the movie makes no apologies about being about a really specific community and not pausing for a second to explain. Any of it, like if you don't get it, you, you just have to roll with it,
1: right? I, mean, I, I that's I think that is benefited by its approach to uh, comedy and its sort of pace. It's just like, don't worry, there's another joke coming. Yeah, that's yeah. that's definitely like the Zaz rule of thumb. Is like you don't need to laugh hard at every joke in Airplane. You right. just have to trust that another one is coming in five seconds. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that one will make you laugh. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, but I could definitely tell watching the movie that there was stuff that was just flying right over my head. Um, I. Mean, I mean, like, you know, I, I have Jewish friends and, you know, I have
1: Jewish friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. We've, we've all had a lot of anxiety about, like, oh, my God, we're here to do the Hebrew Hammer. What if it's, like, really anti-Semitic and we can't unpack it? And it's, like, this time in history where yeah. it's, like, really thorny issue about the rising anti-Semitism and da-da-da. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But, no, 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 no. This is, this is just... This is just just lighthearted fun. It's Like, very like goofy. everyone's just having fun. Um, but but yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I did I did sort of share that anxiety, um, coming into this. Um, so but I, I just bring that up to say that um, just from like you know ha- like like talking to people and having friends and um you know who are Jewish and stuff like that. I've I've picked up, you know, enough to know that like okay, I'm getting some of these jokes, but there's I just know that there's like other stuff in there that like. No, it's just sailing right over my head, which is fine. Um, And it's something that I, that I like to see, you know, because like, I mean, this is an era where you are starting to see more comedies that step outside of this like suburban waspy experience. Like this is the same time you you have like Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. This is the same time that you have Napoleon Dynamite, which is pretty white, but it's also like. Like rural Idaho, and there's a lot of specificity to like rural Idaho in Napoleon Dynamite. So it's not just about like you know, oh fucking you know Ryan Reynolds is you know living in the suburbs and getting up to some some nonsense. You know, it's it's you you're kind of hearing other people's experiences, and and you know it's just so more interesting.
1: So I. I so I had seen this before uh-huh. because like I said I Comedy Central was my home that was where I lived I absorbed every fucking horrible episode of drawn together that exists oh, because sure. I was just I was watching sure. ev- all the bullshit uh th- consuming maybe without as much critical thought as I should have like yeah. the man show or whatever the fuck <laughs> Um, From this era. So I had seen this before. In fact, I think I had seen it because, you know, it's one of those things. Comedy Central, once they have a movie, they will air it three times a day for three weeks. Right. Uh, I think I'd seen it in bits and pieces multiple times. Um, I had a really, really intense crush on Adam Goldberg at this point. Um, I was a big Days to Confuse fan. And I think specifically the way that the commercials for this TV movie were cut To Uh make him look like a cool badass. Yeah. Like... The joke is ostensibly like, but he's Jewish, so yeah. he's not cool. But it's like, but he's not fucking Woody Allen. He's Adam Goldberg. He's yeah. fucking hot. Yeah, I, you <laughs> know in his black leather and his his beard. I'm like, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, no, he he's hunky big boy. Yeah,
1: there's a, there's a scene in this where he's like uh, going on a rant and he's wearing these like blue briefs and I'm like, yeah. oh hello Adam Goldberg.
0: <laughs> I mean, the costumes in this movie are a lot better than I was expecting because it's like like all the different costumes that he wears are are these like really fun mergers of this like shaft kind of kind mm-hmm. of look like 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 this very like cool urban 70s kind of look and like um traditional like orthodox jewish clothing um so uh i i was kind of interested to to see um you know, how, how those two aesthetics combine turns out really well. Those rings, um, those Hebrew alphabet rings yeah, on his Yeah, like, yeah, all of stuff. his bling, his like necklace, he's got like the high necklace and um and, and he's got like like the feather in his hat and, you know, um so, so yeah, it's just like aesthetically it's all good. But yeah, it was it, it's like you're watching it and he's wearing some tight shirts and you're like, oh he's kinda of buff. And then yeah, there's that scene where they're just like, let's show off his cum gutters. Like <laughs> kind of
1: don't say that.
0: But cum gutters, Ugh. it's true. He had them. <laughs> he had cum gutters.
1: The internet has ruined us. Um, <laughs> so I will say I had seen this before. Um, I did kind of enjoy it. I will say I was pretty disappointed by it. I don't think I liked this movie as much as you. And honestly, like one of the big things I don't like about it uh-huh. is that I don't think it's very culturally specific. I think it's l- like largely a very lazy comedy. There are moments here and there where it feels like that's coming from someone with a point of view. Mm -hmm. I think, like, one of the high points of the whole movie is the sort of origin story where you see him as a kid and, like, what it feels like to be a Jew on Christmas and everyone. Like, there's a lot of good jokes in that section, but a lot of it is like, the hackiest, most, and apparently this is—I—I I, I looked up a little bit about uh, the director. Apparently, he—he he like wrote this in like eighteen days. He was just like sort of tore through it. You can it's kind like, of tell. You can tell. It's like <laughs> it goes for every hacky joke premise, where like even ones that were like super dated in two thousand three, like a Kwanzaa joke, like oh Kwanzaa, yeah. like. Kwanza, isn't it hysterical that they want to have a holiday called Kwanzaa and, and we're mentioning Kwanzaa now in the same breath as Christmas and Hanukkah? Kwanzaa. Um, and like and like, oh yeah, the dwarf. If a dwarf says something vulgar, that's hysterical. Yeah. And even um, like at one point it just becomes a film noir parody, like very early on. It's just in like, one scene for in no In one reason. scene, it's in black and white and it's a film noir parody, and that's one of those things where it's like, Yeah, this is written by a twenty year old in film school.
0: I, that happens very early in the movie, and it seems like it is setting up kind of a um like like like, oh we're we're really gonna go all over the place with what we're parodying but then it doesn't and we never kind of come back to that kind of thing so it did seem like a very uh strange twist in the beginning of the movie for not a lot of
1: reason that i could see and and yeah i mean and and there's also there's like hacky psychics where it's like his mother is married to an old Asian man and they're like that to me is like if you want uh, 2003 like shitty quote unquote edgelord humor oh, in a yeah. nutshell it's like what's funny what if an old Asian man was there I mean there's still like still some people get into yeah. this bullshit I feel like this is the thing you'll see in like a Tyler the Creator video or like maybe the Eric Andre show where it's like it just cuts to an old Asian person and yeah. it's hysterical that they're there and they don't speak English
0: y- yeah he's just yeah th- he's basically there so they can make a hacky joke there's no explanation as to why this gentleman is at is at shabbos dinner right and, and you don't um, need and you
1: don't need uh explanations in terms of like oh character motivations for this wacky you know but, uh but you're, you're, brooksian comedy but, but like, your
0: thought was like oh he's married he's like the stepfather yeah is that in the
1: movie i i thought there was a line where the mother said me and his name oh, or whatever uh-huh. it is in a way that implied they were together
0: Oh, I didn't pick that up. And Anyway, that's not important. (laughs) What's important is it's like that has nothing to do with like
1: observations about the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. That's just like a weird hack premise. And like throughout the movie, they're just constantly throwing out like hacky bullshit in a way that's like it's not really super focused on being a like commenting on black exploitation as a movement, uh-huh. as a genre, as a cultural force. It's not really committed to the Jewish thing. The it doesn't really tell a story. It's kind of just a loose it's kind of like a sketch comedy movie. Um the it it just and it's like He wrote it in film school, I think. Like it, it's based off of a short film that he made in the year two thousand, and it's like I think he made that when he was nineteen. So like, this is a movie directed by a very young man who does not have a lot of frame of reference or whatever. So he's doing like the uh, uh, the Kevin Smith thing, where it's like, like. If there's one movie this feels like, it feels like Dogma, honestly. (laughs) Where you know, you know, like with the Avenging, like there's a literally a scene where Adam Goldberg like in in the uh, white supremacist bar like takes out a gun and like points it, and it's like angled in a way that's like that's Matt Damon in the uh, executive boardroom in Dogma. Yeah, there's like there's just a couple moments here and there. I'm like, oh yeah, that's like Dogma. The whole Andy Dick thing taking over Santa, you know, that feels like a Kevin Smith thing. The whole comic book vibe of it, and it's just like it doesn't feel like there are comedies that are like more about expressing like a very specific point of view. And I feel like this gets there occasionally and then like frequently just fails to do so in a way that I I'm, it's not, it's not unfunny. It's not, it, it doesn't do a bad job as a comedy, but honestly, like one of the most disappointing things to me is that it isn't really from a different cultural point of view other than the fact that, because, like, all the Jewish jokes are a lot of stereotypical stuff, too. So if you're anti-Semitic, yeah. you will probably still get most of the jokes because they are just the things you actually believe about Jewish people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like there, is a lot, there is a lot of self-deprecating humor and there is a lot of um, riffing on uh, anti-Semitic trope. A, a lot of lampshading those kind of stereotypes. Um, I mean... Not the first time I've seen like
1: Jewish comedy do that. No, no, of course not. I think it's it's obviously it is the um, it is the right of all marginalized communities to self critique. Sure, Um, that's it's it's
0: just it's nothing new. Like like it's it's nothing new, new and specifically an original.
1: It's mostly stereotypes.
0: But there's definitely some some moments of his character that I mean I found very relatable, where he is like he's kind of an anxious guy you know uh and i i just found that very endearing like whenever anyone says like you know the fate of hanukkah rests on your shoulders and he's like okay i <laughs> you're, you're kind of stressing me out here you know um that that's, just, that's ha- a lot to
1: put on a guy's shoulders i'm <laughs> yeah. already
0: yeah, yeah i'm already sweating
1: um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> um y- y- you know so, so there there were moments like that that i found like extremely charming um where it's not just like um y- y- I I feel like this is also the era where you have um, a a protagonist of a comedic movie. Who's just unflappable. Like, like you just have, have like the cool guy. Who's just kind of like it, like it's funny because like he's, he's making jokes at everyone else's expense and he's just like, you know, cannot be ruffled. And uh, you know, Mordecai is constantly ruffled throughout this movie, um, which I found very charming. I,
1: I, I I found that charming. I also wonder like, So is this a movie about like a cool badass Jewish superhero or is this a movie about how the premise of a cool badass superhero is hysterical because Jews can't be cool and badass. They're too unflappable because the movie and it's like either choice could be a valid choice, but the movie can't seem to decide which is which. Um
0: I kind of like that though I, I like like there I like are that, there are
1: definitely like Woody Allen movies, for example, right. where Woody Allen is sort of thrust into a position where he has to like be a hero of a mm-hmm. story like Sleeper is a movie where it's like he has to be a sci-fi hero, right, but he's Woody Allen right. and like that's just like the constant <laughs> really uh consistent source of humor is he has to be a sci-fi hero he's Woody Allen, right, and like this movie. Kind of because it's so sketchy and inconsistent, like it kind of picks and chooses when he is competent and when he is less competent and Mm. when the humor is that he's super badass and when the humor is that he's not badass at all in a way that made it difficult for me to get invested in its point of view.
0: I, I guess I liked that tension. Um, maybe it's cause I kind of related to it where, you know, one hand I'm like, you know, you, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm cool. I don't, I don't need the man to approve of me cause I know who I am and, and I can just walk down the street and, and just be confident in myself. And, but then there's other times where I'm just like, nope, nope. I, I cannot deal with any of this. I just, I just need to like, uh, you know, step back and, and just turn the lights off and just be quiet, uh, and and just kind of you know calm myself, um, you know, so it, it he did feel uh very relatable to me in that way. Okay. Um. I th- I think also I don't I don't think that this is supposed to be a movie where it's like oh it's it's like inherently absurd that. Um, that there would be like uh like 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 a a Jewish action hero like a like a shaft kind of character um i th- I think the humor it comes across a lot where it's just sort of where it's like kind of um seeing parallels between between these two communities like I mean he's in he's I think it's supposed to be in Brooklyn yeah yeah um, for sure. You know uh where it, where it's the, like, the
1: New York City uh sort of subway or, yeah. or and it's like yeah its it would be like Brooklyn or yeah something.
0: yeah um where where it's like you know oh it's like you have these like two communities who are in um like you know in an in an urban area and like they're and like very like close-knit and you know um like I, I feel like in a lot I haven't seen a ton of black exploitation movies, but I feel like there is, uh, in the ones that I've seen, there is sort of a, a common thread of like, um, you know, oh, we, um, like, 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 part of this movie, um, is uplifting black women as like strong and, and beautiful and kind of pushing white women to the side, um, you know, uh, and, and kind of, um, turning those like hegemonic beauty standards on their head like that feels like a big part of exploitation movies and i think this movie does that with with its with its like jewish women characters like you know you have um like one scene where uh santa's trying to distract mordecai with his two like um like blonde Santa bimbos and uh he
1: starts chatting them up about Victor Frankl. yes <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right that's right oh, it's so yeah funny. he starts
0: talking about Victor Frankl, uh <laughs> and and Esther uh is starting to look worried and then he sees the the crucifix around one of their necks and and he says I like my women like I like my matzah unleavened and he pushes them away and she's like yeah
1: specifically specifically it's like this diamond encrusted uh cross in the like I'd extreme Close up of their cleavage, and it's like it's like the boobs are nice, but no, yuck. Cross. (laughs) Um, I would say there is one Jewish woman not played by a Jewish woman that Um, it is uplifting as sexy and desirable, and all other Jewish women in this movie don't fare so well. Um, There is. The, mo- the at the beginning, the opening like little shaft parody. There's right. the woman who's like, "Won't you marry my daughter?" And it's like ugly, ugly woman with right. uh, braces and and bad uh, skin. And then there's the mother. And then there's Rachel Dratch playing the ridiculous secretary. Oh, she's cute. She's but it, but it's like these these are not. This is not a I think a movie about how hot Jewish women are. Like um, even even Judy Greer's character is like at the end she's like oh i succeeded in breaking him down and he's going to stop being a superhero and get a well playing job because i'm a jewish woman and that's what that's yeah. what happens to jewish men when they get into relationships with jewish women they become their mother and like i i think this movie is is pretty sexist i think it's i think it's less sexist than it could have been if only cuz it's like it casts judy greer as like the sex pot like comedy movie babe yeah. but it totally does not have any conviction or it's just like it feels it's too icky to actually objectify like the actress so to Jonathan Kesselman's credit like in the scene where she's like Oh, I'll seduce him. She is wearing like a very long dress that she slightly lifts up to reveal uh, like a couple more inches of her shins. And, and, and yeah,
0: yeah, she's yeah, she's very much dressed conservatively as an Orthodox Jewish woman would dress. The yeah. the,
1: the, the movie does not uh, objectify her in any way, and it's but like ultimately at the end, I don't think this is a movie that you walk away from going like, yeah, Jewish women are fucking awesome.
0: I mean. I, I I, There's I a think, woman
1: at the airport at the airport in Israel as well who's very right, <laughs> gross right. and off-putting, and the way she spits when she talks.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not going to say that it's you know, um, uh, ai uh, a a a, a I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it on the syllabus of like a gender studies class, but I mean, I think a lot of black exploitation movies are. It's kind of the same thing where it's just where it's like you know we're not going to um, have like like a subtle nuanced. Uh, or character with lines who's a black woman but we are going to have like beautiful black women in the movie and i mean there are like like extras in the movie who are jewish women where he's like kind of you know um like like past like driving past him and they all swoon and that's you know true. that kind of thing
1: he blows him a kiss yeah and exactly. they, they are coded as babes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um that's true yeah i i think the interesting thing about this movie in 2003 is it feels like there was this sort of cultural moment around the 70s yeah. and around and like black exploitation is part of it. And I think like black exploitation sort of gets brought re uh, evaluated in the mainstream because of Quentin Tarantino specifically. Mm, I could see that. Like I think uh pulp fiction and like Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction and his crazy uh jerry curls and everything. Like mm-hmm. I think that is a Uh, thing that gets a lot of people going like and and Quentin Tarantino being the kind of public figure who's constantly referencing all these old right you know uh, movies that he likes and stuff like that like I think that sort of gets these things talked about again and be and they get like a cool cultural cachet yeah but the funny thing about blaxploitation as a word, as a movement, or whatever, is it is a very broad, very specific framing device for an extremely diverse set of films. That's true. And it's like, uh you watch Ganja and Hess, and you watch Truck Turner, and you're like, these are not the same fucking genre. One of these is an avant-garde film about assimilation, and the other is like the sleaziest fucking crime movie you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so like... uh. Um, Even movies like the two most famous, or I guess, you know, they're among the most famous movies, would be like Shaft and uh, Superfly. They're mm-hmm. certainly the movies that get directly referenced in this film. Right, right. Those are like... very different tonally. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Shaft is about this cool, badass motherfucker, and Superfly is like Ron O'Neill's cool as shit, but also there is this, like, culture, there is this uh, awareness of, like, systemic racism and, mm-hmm. like, the the conflicted nature of selling drugs and stuff yeah. like that. So, um it's interesting that all of it gets flattened into like wah-wah guitar and afros and like cool yeah. 70s styles and like k- pimping cadillacs and stuff. Yeah. Um which is not something only this movie does. Um but uh but it's uh in the way that this movie is looking at black exploitation and to be fair like Jonathan Kesselman literally brings out um, uh, oh, um, Melvin well, Van Peebles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he literally has Melvin Van Peebles walk on and 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 deliver lines from "Sweet Sweetback's Badass" song. Right. So it's like there's a little bit of uh, okay, okay. You've you've seen a little bit more obscure than Foxy Brown here.
0: Right and it, there yeah and there's references to like Sweet Sweet Backs badass song besides the cameo uh in the movie like there's the the opening uh dedication to like all the Jewish brothers and sisters that's who right. are sick I of the about Gentile that. Yeah. um you know there's that <laughs> reference there's the there's the sequence um that uh that's an that's the 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 the, the sp- there's the sequence that's spoofing Superfly uh with Pusherman um you know so I and yeah and and again I haven't I, of the exploitation movies I have seen, I haven't seen Shaft or Superfly. Um, so I am probably also missing some big, you know, cultural touchstones as I am with, I'm sure with Jewish culture. And I'm sure there are people who are like listening to this and, and, and having, and having seen Jewish, um, having seen Hebrew Hammer and Erna just like, you forgot about X Y Z. Why you know? And I'm, maybe we'll get an angry email. That's fine. Um, uh, it,
1: I will say to anyone listening, if you are interested in black film of the seventies uh, beyond uh, black exploitation and mm-hmm. the films that get hit with that brush and the very complicated and conflicting emotions that people have about a word like black exploitation or whatever, there's an absolutely fucking incredible documentary by Elvis Mitchell on Netflix called "Is That Black Enough for You?" Oh, yes, mm-hmm. um, it is one of the greatest documentaries about film history ever made. And it is like everything you could ever want in terms of getting interviews with the people who made the movies yeah. and having a really strong point of view and being able to thread that needle between like these movies were problematic, but also these movies were important. But yeah. also these movies weren't as important in some ways, but they were more important in other ways. Mm-hmm. And like it is it is so clear eyed and so uh, comprehensive. Mm-hmm. It's great. So anyway, if you are interested in black exploitation but you're like, maybe I don't want to sit down and watch Shaft or whatever. Uh, and you want to, You don't know where to start or whatever. Yeah. Watch uh, is that black enough for you on Netflix? That, that movie's great. I th-
0: I think so. Of the black exploitation movies I've seen, and a good chunk of them have been like black exploitation horror movies, like Blackula mm-hmm. and, um, Scream, Blackula, Scream. Yes, and Scream Blackula, Scream and Scream um, Blackula, Scream and Doctor Black and Mister White,
1: uh, Doctor Black and Mister Hyde.
0: Yeah, Doctor Black and Mister Hyde. Um, you know. Uh, I, I would say of those movies, although, I mean, genre-wise and, and tone-wise, quite different from, like, w- what an action movie would be, um, but you you still have, um, you know, these, uh, these like, black characters where it's like, okay, well, what if we had a black character who is a contemporary of Dracula? And, like, what would that look like? Or, or what if we had the... The 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 black character who's like a, a doctor and his hubris gets the gets the better of him and he turns into a mad scientist, um, you know. And and you so you you do kind of have the same thing where it's like okay, well you know let's see what the movie looks like. You know you know what this story that people are familiar with looks like when the protagonist is black. Uh, and you you know there is also sort of like. Um, you do get uh scenes that are you know like set in a in a faction of the black community that you usually wouldn't see in a movie where it's like these aren't just you know people who are working in service positions or they're not just like there to be like a a criminal element that threatens white characters it's like you know oh no these are like people who have their own lives and interests and and they have their cool parties and you know all this kind of stuff um and I think you see a little bit of that in in Hebrew Hammer. I mean I mean definitely where you have this like um this like cool badass, you know, detective action hero who's um like an orthodox Jew. Like that's definitely not something, you know, that you would expect to see. So I think that there is sort of like a uh I don't love the word novelty, but
1: not that, you know, I, don't, I don't think novelty is necessarily yeah, a bad word.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Where where it's just like, okay, well, well this is this is like who I am and this is my community and my background and I want to be part of this story too and I want to be the hero. Uh, and you know, um, I so so I, I think that um, just like that sort of uh, impetus behind a movie um, coming from someone who's of a marginalized group, uh, like like that to me is the strongest connection that Hebrew Hammer has to black exploitation.
1: Yeah, I would. I would say that's true. I think you. Uh, what was the There was a, uh, a stranger among us. There's a Melanie Griffith movie from the early '90s where she uh-huh. has to like go undercover in a Hasidic Jewish community. Like, I feel like it is often you see these communities as like they might as well be uh, Mennonites or like they, they're they just like yeah. they're, they're othered and they're like strange. Right. And like the appeal of even watching the media is like, let's dive into a different world that seems to exist right on top of ours. But it's totally right. bizarre and weird. And this is like pretty normalizing in in certain yeah. ways, even if it is like. A lot of stereotype humor like yeah. it. there it is at least like there are no characters who aren't Jewish that we give a fuck about
0: right exactly yeah um th- that is that is another thing that is very uh similar to the exploitation movies I've seen where you have like the the gentile characters like you have you know Damien and it's like well of course he's an anti-semite like Like, yeah, we know. Yeah. You fucking know. Yeah. He's the man. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's exactly the same kind of thing where it's like, oh, well, you don't have to explain, like, like why the white character is racist. It's just like, yeah, we know. Move on to the next part of the story, you know? um. So yeah, I think I think kind of having that that perspective too, uh, you know where yeah that and that and that also does a lot to reduce like the othering where it's like you don't have to like go out of the way to to explain you just kind of assume that the audience is on board with this character's struggle mm-hmm. um which does feel like like it is sort of um you just have to empathize with them you just have to root for them
1: yeah and and I will say like I I, I do say, like, oh, it's mostly based on, like, stereotypes and not observed and stuff. But but I think, I think a point you brought up in terms of, like, not stopping to explain jokes at all. Mm-hmm. I think that is impressive. Like, even someone like me, it's like, I have watched a lot of movies about the Jewish community. Like, I have mm-hmm. sort of absorbed a lot, like, listened to a lot of comedians who are talking about, you know, growing up Jewish and stuff like that. Like, a lot of this stuff I had already absorbed. And there was still stuff that I had to, like, sort of pause and look up and be like... He goes fifty seven thirty three, a good year, and I'm like, what? And I'm like, oh, Jewish calendar. I didn't right. realize there was a whole Jewish calendar stuff, but it doesn't explain that. It's just it's, yeah, it's, the Zazz thing yeah. where it just keeps moving on. So like
0: yeah, so I think something else that uh, c- kind of comes across with this movie being from like a very Jewish perspective is that uh, you have uh, a you have a perspective on Christmas that you usually don't see in movies uh, where. <laughs> There's this sort of uh, evil force behind Christmas. I mean, that hasn't been true the whole time because we we start out with the uh, the outgoing Santa Claus uh, who says that uh, he he has uh, been trying to. Uh, you know build bridges between Christmas and, and Hanukkah and Christmas and, and Kwanzaa and uh, you know be more multicultural and accepting and that he prides himself on that and then his evil son Damien um, who has uh, somehow convinced the reindeer to be on his side of uh, stab the, the, the previous Santa to death
1: because that's because that's how Kevin Smith would do it in dogma that- <laughs> like yes. the reindeer yeah. suddenly having like sword antlers that they yeah yeah. And just, and yeah that's that to me was like yeah this is, this is just i watch um, fucking watching dogma right now
0: yeah but i i mean i'm i just i just bring up the scene to to say that um there isn't the idea that oh christmas is like inherently bad or christmas has been bad the whole time but there is this kind of sense of like um maybe it just feels feels more relevant as time goes on where it's just like Oh, there is this kind of like hegemonic uh yeah. um aspect to Christmas where it's like, okay, well, it's just gonna like, you know, spread and everyone's gonna celebrate it. And um fucking evil Santa wa- is is one a a, a raging anti Semite uh and It's too- Andy
1: Dixo and he's like largely improvising, it seems like. So he's kind of a raging everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for for sure. But um his he, yeah, he's 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 uh, a, a sexist, racist, ableist pig. Um,
1: and then also in the movie, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Uh, <laughs> um, but his his main target is is like Judaism and is destroying Hanukkah, and it's just because it's like he just he's just an anti semite because he's a fucking evil guy. Which, but they're also like you said there's also the the opening scene where you uh you see Mordecai as a kid um sort of being in uh in his in his grade school uh you know at the end of December and uh no one else is celebrating Hanukkah and everyone else is celebrating Christmas and he's being uh very much pushed to the margins and patronized to and bullied because of because he's Jewish and the teacher even says like you know oh just because we think he's weird and his people have weird customs doesn't mean that we can't accept him
1: and even that that feels like a, like a there was a South Park episode that was specifically about Kyle the Jewish character and right. how it felt being a Jew on Christmas and he has a little song about and everything so even that felt like reheated South Park but those are like also some of the funniest jokes yeah my fa- one of my favorite jokes in this movie is you have these like three absolute shitty children who are making fun of him they're like oh I dropped the penny are you gonna pick it up yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, your nose is big. Or that, yeah, that. Yeah. And then one comes and it's like, if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to burn in hell. And then it cuts to the other three kids and they're like, geez, yeah. we're anti-Semitic, <laughs> but we're not all weird about it. <laughs> Yeah, we're just repeating anti-semitic jokes we heard we're not zealots the yuck yeah yeah the, uh, the the other three children responding to the to the religious anti yeah, like, we'll read the funny. room
0: kind of like very
1: funny goof <laughs> also with him him with his dreidel and he looks over and the kids are unwrapping christmas presents in class right where, and one yeah, of them gets a, a puppy <laughs> that's a puppy
0: Yeah. And also, I mean, I I don't know. I, I went to I went to Catholic school for most of my education, most of my grade school education was in Catholic school. Um, but even there, our Christmases, we didn't have a full-size Christmas
1: tree in the, in no, the no, classroom. No, of not. But um, I mean... But that's what it feels like. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure If, I'm you're not, sure if you, that, you that don't celebrate it like, Christmas, yeah. it's just, it's like everywhere you fucking turn, there's a fucking Christmas tree and there's a child unwrapping a present under it.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I'm, and I'm sure when you're when you're a child and, and you can't make your own decisions about, you know, when you celebrate what you celebrate, it's gotta be really tough. Yeah. Um... You know, so so I, th- I think you're right. I think that that the, those moments are the ones that are, uh, you know, probably the most personal. The, uh, um, one, one thing this
1: uh, Jonathan Kesselman has in common with a Kevin Smith is that when it is like a very specific idea where he can rip off another movie, mm-hmm. he can make a visual visual choice, right. And then in every other instance, it is like the most flat,, um, unemphatic, like stylist kind of shooting. Uh-huh. And so like the thing that makes that opening so good is he's specifically trying to turn this Catholic school into like this Tim Burton kind of nightmare yeah. place. Like there's even like Danny Elfman kind of music playing. Yeah. Yeah, and
0: you got those like crazy angles and like and like the blue kind of palette.
1: It's like if you look at the first shot of this movie, which has the most m- much funnier than the uh Kevin Smith buddy Christ from Dogma is the like horrific uh screaming uh edward munch uh the scream jesus oh, christ you know, with, crucifix like, the sunken
0: eyes oh it's it's like be yeah, a brutalist jesus it's really upsetting looking the,
1: the, the uh that crazy camera move from brutalist jesus down to uh you know uh the hebrew hammer looking up at that is is like very funny and captures like yeah this is probably what the solemn uh nature of the Catholic church feels like to someone who is not part of it. They look up and they're like, Gee, you stare at the fucking tortured guy all the fucking time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. He's at the front of every room. And if you especially love him, you add blood. I, I, I thought with sort of the,
0: um, the, the, the child's perspective kind of comes up a little bit later in the movie where you have uh, tiny Tim who is evil Santa's sort of, you know, henchman, uh, and and, uh, and he is he's sent out to to give VHS tapes of It's a Wonderful Life to all the Jewish children, and and that's the movie that kind of makes them uh, not not so enthusiastic about Hanukkah anymore. And, and that was a little bit of a surprise to me. I didn't think of like specifically It's a Wonderful Life as the like movie that. Would make you feel bad about Hanukkah. That feels
1: like reversed engineered from yeah. like I want to put a Superfly reference in there. What right. would they have instead of drugs? Oh, it would be like a Christmas thing. Oh, it would be it's a wonderful life.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true because that is where they put in that like really specific homage to um to to Superfly. Um, but also I think I think just like having Tiny Tim in there as another evil character. Um, that because Tiny Tim does kind of feel like the most um like syrupy sweet representation of Christmas where it's like oh if someone wants to wants to guilt you about not being that enthusiastic about Christmas it's like oh but the children the pure hearted Christmas children and the way their eyes light up on Christmas day and then you feel like well I'm an asshole because I don't want to be anti-child I'm just like not freaking Christian so I'm not that hyped about Christmas I will
1: say pretty much everything in at the North Pole involving Andy Dick and Sean Whalen as Tiny Tim I was just like this this is comedy death to me I don't think any of this is funny I really find Andy Dick like painfully unfunny through most of this movie and I have a note here that says I don't like Tiny Tim at all at any point Sean Whalen is just not funny to me and then just a few paragraphs down I have because we're both Sagittarius (laughs) Okay, I lied. There's one very fucking funny joke. That to me is like that's not an obvious black exploitation joke. That is like a three levels deeper, yeah. like seventies black culture yeah, joke, yeah. which is like if you look at the fucking album cover of the Commodores at the back, they list all the band members and their fucking Zodiac oh, slides nice, next to it. Because nice. that's just like that's what it fucking was in the 70s. <laughs> so like that to me is like fucking great joke. And if like if the yeah. movie was more on that level, then I'd be like, Oh yeah, fucking Hebrew Hammer, classic. <laughs> um, but uh the, uh, also, the, the, also,
0: the, also, the line delivery is very good because you could kind of tell that that means something to Tiny Tim too. Where yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, no, we really, we really related here.
1: <laughs> I mean, if Tiny Tim is, you know, if he's like a Christmas uh, spirit in some way, then that's Sagittarius. Um, uh, but uh, there, I you, you mentioned like, oh yeah, there's a lot of ableist stuff with Tiny Tim. Like across the board, one of the super like bullshit edge 2003 comedy things this movie does is just like. You like slurs? Yeah. I got all these fucking slurs yeah. for you. In a way that's like I get it the black community has reclaimed the n-word or was like in the midst of reclaiming the n-word. Yeah. I don't I don't know the full history of the reclamation of the n-word so I won't pretend I do. But like uh, they you hear the n word uh, a lot when you are watching a black exploitation movie, right. mostly from evil white characters uh, saying it, and that's how we know. That's how we know to boo them is because right. they're like, "You need to get that n word." And then like, but like sometimes it's it's in the more familial way that the black right. community a refers to itself or yeah. whatever. That is not true of the Jewish community, and there are so. <clears throat> is it? Is that? I've never I, heard. Th- there was. There was. My K slur, I like. I've never heard anyone be like, "Yo, my K slur." I've
0: never heard anyone <laughs> use it that way. But there was a like a magazine for like young hip Jewish people in like the early aughts that was H slur. Really? was the title of the magazine? Um,
1: H <laughs> slur magazine. Yes. Oh boy.
0: <laughs> so it's. I think. I think it's the kind of thing where even if if it's not used in in that same kind of parlance, there is still like a sort of uh, s- sense of like of like, oh, no, I will I will like satirically refer to myself using a slur as a way to um, sort of, uh, you know, take take the sting out of it.
1: I that but there's there's something I think it is because this is also a movie that has a lot of N words in it in a way that's like well that's not this that's not the project of this movie yeah. but like but it is that just like what's funnier than a black dwarf calling a white person the n-word nothing so we're going to make sure that this black dwarf calls white people the n-word all the time and like there's it just feels like there's a lot of ambient slurs that have nothing to do with yeah. like recontextualizing one community and putting it over another and just more like let's just sort of have this edgy vibe about everything.
0: Yeah. And it especially does that thing with, uh, with Andy Dick's character where he is just saying like, like just really like, like horrible comments to the to Santa's elves and right. horrible comments to Tiny Tim and horrible comments to, to everyone that, that it's just like all this well, at a certain point it's he's like, like oh but he's the bad guy he changes, so of course he's going to say this he changes this
1: Santa's workshop into a sweatshop yeah and then he brings in like I'm going to bring in some Taiwanese children to yeah. do all the work or whatever and then there's like 80 yard over the Taiwanese children coming in there's a doctor like No Time for Love Dr. Jones reference right which is like short round from Temple of right, Doom right, right, which, right. so again it's like mm. you're being you're just being shitty and racist against yeah. Asian people. Also, you're like being so unspecific there. Short rounds from Hong Kong, short round, or <laughs> short <laughs> rounds Chinese. He's not from Taiwan. Fuck you. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> but like, there's just so much ambient racial humor that has nothing to do with the project of what if Jewish black exploitation? Yeah. That I do not trust all of the K-slurs and H slurs that get thrown around.
0: Yeah, I could see that. like that makes you, sense. And,
1: and I think, and it's like, if we were both Jewish. We could come out really hard and strong. Yes or no? Right. We could gut check it and and feel right. it. And not every other Jewish person would have to agree with us, you know. But like we right. would know where we stand there. Right. And I think when you are not part of a marginalized community and you are sort of stepping into the world of that marginalized community's comedy and the self critique that is involved in the comedy, I think there's nothing wrong with enjoying that comedy. But I do think you have to sort of gut check yourself and be like. I can't dive too deep. Like if you're a white person watching the Chris rock black people versus N word sketch, you should probably think about how hard you laugh and at what points. (laughs) Cause it's like, (laughs) if you're laughing too hard at everything, then you might just be racist. Like you might not actually see, you know, like you, you might have gone beyond empathizing with Chris rocks frustration and just gone through like, yes, that's right. Some black people have no value, (laughs) you know, like, and it's like, and like, I have to have trust. That you are doing this thoughtfully. And even like, you know, Chappelle, this is the era of Chappelle's show. Mm -hmm. Like Dave Chappelle famously walked away from his show because he couldn't trust himself. He didn't know if he was actually doing what he was setting out to do. It's like, it's a very tricky line to walk. And it's like, he, Dave Chappelle loved using the N-word to comedic effect. And he realized like... Just because it gets a big laugh, it might not be the right kind of laugh. Yeah. Now, did Dave Chappelle continue to be that thoughtful? Am I here talking about what a thoughtful comedian Dave Chappelle is in 2023? Goddamn, no. But
0: at the time, <laughs> it was a different time. At the time,
1: it's like it took a lot of guts to walk away from that show or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah. think that, but I do think that demonstrates the importance of a marginalized voice wielding that power thoughtfully. Yeah, yeah, and that's I. Her. And I, as a fucking goy, can't say Jonathan Kesselman does or does not. Right. I can say I don't trust him, his ability to wield it.
0: Right, right. A lot of the comedies, like, a lot of the more recent comedies I've seen are doing a much better job of that, of being, like, kind of edgy and out there and bizarre. Um, but... Without having to just you know use slurs for the sake of using slurs, but still being you know that like rude, raunchy kind of good time. Mm-hmm. Like I think Bottoms is a really good example yeah. of that.
1: Dicks the musical came out this year is yeah. is a that one is more in the edgelord territory. Yeah. Um. But like I I there's not a I, don't, I can't recall a lot of lines it crosses in that in that territory. Hmm. Um. But uh. But like that is just like well yeah that's what happens when you. Let marginalized voices voices tell their own right. stories. Or Bad everything. Trip. Bad Trip. I'm not,
0: I'm not a huge Eric Andre fan, but I did laugh my ass off watching that movie.
1: Right. But that. But hey, Bad Trip is the perfect example of what I'm talking about. Where it's like, what exactly about these black bystanders watching this do you find funny? Because <laughs> you yeah. might you might be laughing for the wrong reasons. You right. Know? Um, but at any rate, but like, um, yeah, I think I think something that has changed in the past 20 years is that uh uh we have realized uh, as a culture that like um more people are willing to step across the aisle and see a movie that is uh, largely associated with an identity that they don't belong to. Mm-hmm. Like, people will go out and see a girl's trip, even right. though that's for black women in a comedy. Like, right, that can right. still be a massive comedy hit because people are just like, no, T- Tiffany a dish is funny. I'm yeah. I'm white. I'm, you know, I'm Latino, whatever. Yeah. Like, Tiffany a dish is fucking funny, so I'll see girl's trip. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think the... Uh, I, I think, like, you look at Chappelle Show, Mind of Mencia, Cranky Anchors, oh boy. The Man Show. Like, you yeah, look at that the
0: fucking ventriloquist guy with the, like,
1: <laughs> Jeff Dunham. Yeah. <laughs> you look at this era of comedy.
0: I took Islamophobic jokes and I'm doing an arts and crafts project.
1: <laughs> and then it's like, all right, well, let's jump forward like 15 years. And it's like, okay, well, let's look at. Key and Peel and yeah. Detroiters yeah. and uh Broad City. Right, and like, Southside. All, and, Southside. And, like, yeah. like there's all these other it's like, okay, no. see, this is this is the benefit. And it's like it's not like any one of those move those shows I just referenced haven't at some point crossed a line that I'm like, nah, that was punching down and that didn't work. Right. But like but in general, they just do oh, it so much better. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's and, been a,
0: a complete sea change. And
1: if this movie was focused enough to really be committed to being about like the Orthodox Jewish community. Mm-hmm. I think we could include it in that thing, but I just think it's too lazy and it's just too, it's, yeah. it's too willing to just pull from easy comedy targets at any given point.
0: Yeah. And, and a lot of those jokes kind of seem like they're coming from wanting to do some kind of like visual gag. Like uh, there's the, that weird scene considering how low budget this movie is like I'm still kind of shocked that the Jewish underground railroad scene is in this movie because that seems like it was very like expensive to put together
1: <laughs> disagree no, that, yeah. that, looked, that looked cheap as hell
0: they, they make they make their, their own that is- fucking bushel basket Moses' ass Disney ride,
1: but, but, like, it doesn't go anywhere. No, it's, it they doesn't. just they just move a light past their face and then move a, like
0: i i'm I'm just saying, like, like for for a film with such a modest budget, like going for a visual gag that lasts an entire scene and has nothing to do with anything, like th- th- that that takes a little chutzpah <laughs> <laughs> there,
1: there, Well, no, I mean, I think I think part of this movie. And the way it came out is the result of someone who doesn't know any better. Yeah. Uh, I Again, I read a Reddit AMA with uh, Jonathan Kesselman about the making of the movie. And he said that, like, oh, yeah, I made the Hebrew Hammer short. And that sort of went whatever the two- year 2000 equivalent of viral was. And uh-huh. it got passed around a lot. Uh-huh. And eventually that got me some meetings. And, you know, I met with the head of Universal, who was absolutely not going to make the movie. And I, I met the head, someone else, who was like, Can you make it a Jewish black buddy comedy? And, like, uh-huh. they wanted to make it less Jewish and more, uh, hit more demographics or whatever. Um, and eventually he came to someone who was like, Can you do it for $1 million? And it's like, <laughs> it was a script that is like, there, <laughs> that's some Roger
0: Corman-ass thinking exactly, right
1: there. <laughs> exactly. So it was It was like, it's a script. Like, you look at all the things that happen in the movie and, like, the wacky comic book sensibility. Mm-hmm. And you go, like, modestly, this is like a $5 million movie. But he was young and he did not have experience. So he said, yeah, I can do it for a million. And I think that's why it's, like, wildly inconsistent where it's, like, yeah. we get a fucking full-blown Tim Burton shot of that opening. And then, lum, lum, and like yeah. when someone throws a penny on the ground for him to pick up, you see it like twisting in slow motion, yeah. and it's like that's not a real penny; that's like a giant, oversized penny, so they can get that close up and get the light reflecting uh-huh. on it the right way. Someone had to build a giant penny prop for that one shot, and then you get to penny. the, and then you get to the Israeli. Uh, you go to go, go to a,
0: go to a, f- a fucking go, go to Washington D.C. Go to I'm any so,
1: tor- I'm sorry. I'm saying. You contrast the first ten minutes of this movie, or uh-huh. first five minutes of this movie, with that fucking uh, Israeli airport that is clearly like three feet of yeah, wall. Yeah, and yeah. they're like, "We're in Israel now."
0: <laughs> <laughs> After some some like some like twenty year old stock footage of a plane landing, like like
1: I, I've seen Herschel Gordon Lewis movies that have like more convincing <laughs> sets. Like That was some Andy Milligan fucking shit. Some of these, some of the sets like where they're like, we have to get to the Jewish atomic clock. And it's like literally just like, I guess it's just a single prop at an empty warehouse yeah, because yeah, we don't true. have.
0: And like, and like, oh, we, we threw some, some tarps over some other things. And there's like, two guards for this
1: giant warehouse or it's like it, when they're at when they're at his mom's house like that dinner room seat it's yeah. like the wall is like six inches behind them and yeah. because you can't actually see anything because it's not real it's all a sound stage. Right. so like there's a lot of this movie that's wildly inconsistent in the way it's shot and looks and how much style it is yeah. and i think that's the result of someone being like first two first week of shooting went great guess what? I spent twice as much as I should have. Mm. And now the next two weeks of shooting are going to go a lot quicker. (laughs) And it's like, maybe we don't get a second take of that Andy Dick joke where he steps on someone else's line.
0: Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 um, as as charming as I find a lot of these performers, and I will say I'm not going to, I'm not going to defend Andy Dick. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's well cast in this movie. Um, for being just like that kind of like just just like ridiculously evil piece of shit, um, he has some really funny line readings. I thought, but I mean, yeah, it's like it's like if you're just gonna like find find a guy who's just gonna like you know say slurs with abandon to make to like you know be the heel and make the audience boo him, then like yeah, well cast. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think I think there there is a lot of the. There, there are a fair number of moments that feel a bit choppy, and um, I guess that would be a good segue to saying, what did you think of Judy Greer in this movie?
1: Um, I think Judy Greer is funny, but I think the character that Judy Greer is playing in this movie is the stock babe in a comedy movie character. Mm-hmm. I think she is the... Uh, um, Heather Graham in Austin Powers Two, or the Elizabeth Hurley in Austin Powers One, where it's or the
0: Beyonce in Austin Powers Three, the (laughs)
1: Beyonce in Austin Powers Three. There might have been uh, or the Madonna in the uh, in the beautiful (laughs) stranger music video
0: for Austin Powers Two
1: for for Austin Powers (laughs) Two underrated song. Um, like I don't, I think the movie doesn't give her enough to do comedically and it's like you look at the movie you look at the cast list and you're like who are the two names that in 2023 you most associate with comedy Mm -hmm. it's Andy Dick and Judy Greer right and Andy Dick gets to just be fully unleashed like seven different it's like seven different points in the movie it just whatever is happening stops so he can just sort of yell and improvise and be Andy Dick maximum Dick and then there's one really good moment with Judy Greer I mean, I think there's moments where she's funny, but the one really funny moment is where uh-huh. they have to go undercover as Goyam, yeah. and it's like, I love that it's like, it's a specifically Santa, um, sort of, uh, meeting at Kmart. Yes. <laughs> Kmart to me is like, yes, that is the most quintessentially Gentile store that ever existed. <laughs> it's like if Paula Dean was a store, it'd be yes. Kmart. <laughs> um, so like, I like this specifically, they have to go undercover in a, cave mart, in a Kmart and, uh, she only really gets to speak once as this character yeah. and she puts on this fake Southern accent and it's very fucking yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah,
0: she, has, she like seduces Santa's bouncer. Uh, it's, yeah. Yeah. It, it was a really good moment. She has a lot of, and, and I agree with you. She's not given a ton to do in the movie um, besides just be a a, a babe. Um, she does get some kind of cool action moments where she gets to like pose and hold a gun and stuff like that and look kind of cool. <laughs> Um, so it's also like a babe in an action movie. It's not just a babe in a comedy that, that she gets to play. Um, seeing seeing her her reactions to what's going on around her, I mean, she's a very present actor. She's very, um, you, you know, uh, 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 very much in the scene, very much uh, having her opinions about mm-hmm. what's going on, even if she doesn't have any lines, um, which is always great to see. Um, but they're... I, I think what you're saying about, um, you know, budgetary constraints, that makes a lot of sense because there are and she's not the only one who who kind of falls victim to this. Just uh, you can kind of tell that, that there probably could have been like another take or two, but maybe they just didn't have the time or, or the budget to to make it work. Because some of yeah, just just there's there's moments where everyone just seems a little uh Awkward, and the timings not quite right, and the the face journeys are maybe one, two, three steps too long. Um, but yeah, yeah, this was a movie that was made under considerable cons- considerable restraints. Mm-hmm. So, I
1: I I do like the sex scene that she has with Adam <laughs> <Me> Goldberg <too. laughs> and the dirty talking, um,
0: and the dancing leading up to it is very cute. I think they they both kind of get to get to, get to just kind of do their own thing and dance around to Mr. Big stuff. Which like who who wouldn't dance to that song? um and just kind of you know have fun
1: it's very cute the dancer i'm glad you pointed that out the dancing to me feels like it's almost out of a different movie where well, well specifically they it feels like the dancing in Moon, moonrise kingdom <laughs> <Like> that, <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah like they, they, they look they look like uh, the two kids in moonrise kingdom they, dancing they do, together they
0: do yeah where it's it's like they're they're dancing they're dancing together but they're not dancing together <laughs> and, they're, and yeah, they're both doing this kind of like like funky like kind of their own little movements. But and... there but there's
1: something specific going on in that scene which is it is both uh, like very sweet and endearing. Yeah. Um but also like bad dancing? Yeah. Um but like it is it but it is the combination of their enthusiasm, they're really feeling it and they're having a good time yeah. and they're enjoying each other, but like it's uh, but it's awkward as well. Yeah. That's it feels like it's from a different movie. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it it feels like it's way more character driven than anything else in this movie. <laughs>
0: there, there is a there is a good uh joke at the, at the end of that where he like accidentally knocks her over and then he's apologizing and he says I'm better with men.
1: <laughs> was that a Jewish joke? I didn't think yeah, that. Yeah, yeah,
0: cuz like like in, in traditional Jewish dancing it's like gender segregated so Oh. Yeah.
1: See there you go. There's a Jewish joke one yeah, over my head.
0: Yeah. Or
1: I, yeah. I love and and
0: of, and of course there's like there's like you know lots of different cultures within the Jewish diaspora. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just kind of speaking. You off. are
1: just referencing what that joke was referencing. Yeah, um, uh, I fucking love the line. You want I should dirty talk? Yes. <laughs> actual like the thing about like the dirty talk being him like talking about their fantasy once they're settled down yeah. and what they're gonna do it th- and how they're gonna raise the kids yeah yeah like that that is also funny but for me the specifically the line when you want says, i should dirty talk yeah
0: she says talk dirty to me <laughs> he says you want i should dirty talk <laughs> oh my god and
1: was... and it's adam adam goldberg is very good at like very motor mouthed like um very fast uh, speaking yeah. like intense dialogue yeah. and the way he delivers and afterwards they'll decide for themselves whether or not they want to continue the religious studies in Israel because after all we have practiced the highly effective assertive democratic style of child rearing sprinkled in with a healthy dose of liberalism yeah well that's, Judy
0: Greer's is like faking an orgasm right yeah. like that
1: to me is like that's that, that's the good kind of Jewish humor that's yeah. like that is that is someone like looking at the people around them and like yeah. and like poking fun at it and and it's less that than like another circumcision joke which like most american men are circumcised regardless of religion so <laughs> the circumcision jokes are always weird for me with jewish uh like yeah I could, as a I, jewish I could stereotype
0: I could, I could see that um there, there are a lot, i mean i i just love like corny little wordplay jokes and there are a lot of those like like in like uh <laughs> like 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 there's this moment where um where uh mordecai is like washing his hands of what the with the jjl wants him to do and he says it's your bar it's your bar mitzvah jack i'm just reading the torah portion (laughs) i thought that was i i was really amused by that (laughs) so the so there's definitely like like this movie has its lines and Mm -hmm. its moments but um this is definitely uh someone's first movie uh made for a shoestring budget
1: Mm -hmm. for sure
0: but that that has it has its charms. It does,
1: <laughs> and it's available on many streaming platforms, free with ads. Yeah, so if, yeah. You're, if you're curious about it, you could test it for yourself.
0: Yeah, um, I think it's it's uh, worth checking out. Um, it's it's sort of its own weird singular thing, and and that that goes a long way in my book. Well, the time has come for us to move on to the other segment. After mm-hmm. our freewheeling conversation about the Hebrew Hammer, we move on to more structured activity. Um, so, Patrick, why don't you uh, tell us what our first other segment is going to be this episode?
1: Oh, I'm excited. Okay. So, one thing that hit me watching the Hebrew Hammer, even though, as I said, the dinner scenes are pretty gross uh, with, yeah. the, with the cat and the diaper and everything, yeah. uh, I did think like, Ooh, I need to go to a deli. I need to get some Jewish food in me. And I thought a fun thing to do, because I didn't grow up with Jewish delis or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, so I have a limited experience. And when I find a thing I like, I tend to just go for that. So I feel like both me and you, we kind of have our go to. Uh, orders when we go to a deli. Nova locks. Nova locks for you. I'm a Reuben person. And it's just like, that's good. That's good. We're got, we got it. Done. But there's other stuff that's like, well, maybe that's good too. Yeah. I've never had it before. So I thought what we could do is I went to the deli today on my way home from work. Mm-hmm. I got a bunch of stuff that we can taste test and try. And to be clear, this is JB's Deli in Andersonville. It's a beloved deli. It's great. been there forever. Been there forever. These are all cuisines that have stood the test of time. Decades and decades of people have loved and cherished these foods. So if we like it or don't like it, it's not a reflection of the restaurant nor the dish. It's just a reflection of, were we able to overcome our Gentile (laughs) uh, deficiencies?
0: Yeah, yeah. So this is an opportunity to... Uh, probably have some fun at, at our expense, uh, or or maybe applaud us for being brave. That's right, for trying for trying new <laughs> things
1: live on mic. Yeah. Um, so I thought we could call this segment Nosh with Panache or Deli Flop. Oof. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> And after every food, we will say whether we will nosh with panache or or whether it's a deli flop.
0: Okay, nosh with panache. Or whether
1: we deli flop, flop. I should say. Sure, sure. Since it would be ours. Uh, What should we do first? You have a Uh, selection of food that you've set up in front of us here. So
0: we've got. Let's start out with the whitefish.
1: Okay, we got some whitefish. We toasted some bread that we're going to spread the whitefish on. Um, Now, me personally, as Reg walks over to the fridge to prepare the food, I can tell everybody I'm not a fan of tuna. Um, I've had crab salad. That's fine. You know, probably not real crab. Most of those kinds of things you get in a supermarkets, like imitation crab, but like I, in general, a cold seafood salad or cold seafood in general, just not my thing. Um, I, I'm, I, my mom was very picky growing up, did not have any seafood, only had fried seafood when we did like chick, uh, fish, fish, uh, sticks and stuff like that. At any rate. Um, so this will be new for me uh and i take it reg you also have not had this that's correct i've I've never had whitefish salad reg says they've never had white fish salad just in case the mic didn't pick that up so let's taste test it hold on just a moment let me get this good foley here Ooh, that sound you just heard is us pouring a can of Dr. Brown's cream soda, another classic uh, staple of Jewish delicatessens the world over. Um, thought we'd uh, enjoy our, uh, our our meal with this.
0: Yeah, so as I've said on the podcast before, I, um, I grew up in New York in the Hudson Valley, not too far from the city, and um, I also lived in New Jersey for quite some time, so I do have... Like some experience going to Jewish delis, but I'm, I also tend to be a, a creature of habit, you know, um, especially because this isn't food I grew up with. I'm not, you know, not Jewish myself, as I said before. And, you know, as, as I said, I kind of just go for what I what I am familiar with and what I know I'm going to like. So I've never I've seen the Dr. Brown soda a million times, never tried it. Um, and I've never tried whitefish. So let's uh,
1: let's dig in. Uh, yeah. Leaning away from the mic for yes. our misophonic friends. Yeah.
0: I kind of like it. I really like it. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: It's got like a smoked flavor to yeah. it.
0: It doesn't have that like oiliness that I like in salmon so much. Sure. I do like it better than tuna salad.
1: Yeah, no, for um, sure. I don't I not like tuna salad. This is very good.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah I I love a, a nice smoky flavor. Um, it, yeah, it's definitely. I mean, for for fish salads, it's on the lighter side.
1: You are right. It's not very uh, not a whole lot of mayo, not a whole lot of dressing here. Mm-hmm. I think that might be why I like it. Yeah. as I don't like that uh, slimy feeling. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Where it's like a lot of mayo. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to try the cream soda.
1: Go for it. It's delicious. It's cream soda. It's not bad. I'm a cream soda guy. Yeah, I'm not. I like cream soda.
0: Um, I think I think of the cream sodas I've had. Uh, this is. Uh, oh, it is high fructose corn syrup. All right. Um, that's interesting. Because it, it does kind of have like a less syrupy flavor. Kind of like when you get like a Mexican Coke. Mm. Um, but it is with high fructose corn syrup. I guess it's just a. Lighter touch than your, your Pepsis and your Coca-Colas is.
1: We're two for two as far as I'm concerned. That white fish is delicious. Good to know. Mm. If I like whitefish, am I going to be uh, converted to a gefilte fish person?
0: Isn't gefilte fish pickled though?
1: Mm. That's going to be difficult for me. I'm not a big fan of the uh, pickled flavor profile.
0: I like pickled vegetables, but I've never had a pickled fish, I don't believe.
1: I, gu- I guess we agree the Dr. Brown's is a uh, nosh with panache. And the, the Dr.
0: Brown's uh, is Nosh with Panache.
1: And the whitefish is Nosh with Panache. I will say a, I I just realized a minor
0: deli flop because I did just bite into a bone.
1: In the in the whitefish? Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: okay. It's forgivable overall. I would say both they're both Nosh with Panache.
1: Excellent, excellent. Uh I also just realized obviously we have a longstanding uh history of doing pun based uh segment names. We do. Uh that is also a Doughboys thing. And I realized that I accidentally turned this podcast into Doughboys just now. So this is a this is an issue that I'm gonna I'm gonna i lose sleep over tonight, but uh well I'll deal with that off air.
0: You know, they're so popular and and successful. I wouldn't mind a little Doughboys magic in my life.
1: We might need a Doughboys bump.
0: What if we do like a deep fake and we pretend to be the Doughboys, and then they get mad at us.
1: Oh, then, controversy. Yeah, and then like yeah. that's our
0: Doughboys bump.
1: Anyway, next up, we have the spinach canish. Now, perso- personally, I in my head, I'm thinking like spanakopita, the uh, mm-hmm. the Greek food, mm-hmm. which I don't like because I don't like feta. I don't think feta is in this. So. No, I,
0: I don't believe so. I've had, But that's the
1: first thing that comes to mind when I look at this.
0: I've had potato canish, which I really like. I mean, wrapping dough around potato, like how can you go wrong? Um, I've never had a spinach one, though. All right. But generally, you know, flaky pastry filled with stuff is um, is a favorite of mine. And there is a little—I don't know if it's feta—but there is a little sharpness in there, like a little tang that's similar to what feta would bring to a spanakopita.
1: I—I was about to say, honestly, this is close enough to a spanakopita to me that I'm—I'm I'm not a big fan of this.
0: I'll be honest; I've never been a huge fan of JB's baked goods. Oh no. No. It's just something. I said, just just like 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 a like a quality to the dough that I don't really care for. Hmm. Um, so I was What are like, the
1: other JB's Bake goods that you've had?
0: Um, like cookies.
1: Oh okay. Well, that'd be. That'd, yeah, that's a, that's a different kind of dough than this.
0: Mm, yeah, I guess that's true, but, um, you know, finishes are fine. It's just yeah. I'm just really like like I've had better like it's kind of it's not very crusty
1: yeah it's a little soft yeah so for so for me the uh spinach knishes are uh, a deli flop
0: yeah i'm I'm gonna have to go with deli flop as 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 well I don't think I'd order these I wouldn't order the spinach knishes again from this particular deli I would try them somewhere else though
1: mm-hmm So we're done with the savory. We're now moved on to the sweet. Uh, I got some blintzes. I've never had blintzes before. I got cheese blintzes and berry blintzes. Now, in my head, the cheese blintzes would have the same filling as like a cheese Danish, but I honestly don't know what to expect. And we do have maple syrup. Uh, You poured the maple syrup right on for you. I'm going to test it without the maple syrup first and then see what I think. So definitely not as sweet as a cheese Danish. That's true. It's not like uh, that sort of cream cheese icing kind of consistency. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean I, I just I just like I said, like like Patrick said, I poured maple syrup on mine, which is how I've had them before. So there's another flavor in there. I can't quite
1: There's still a nice sweetness to it. The mm. texture of the cheese is like got a little bit of curd to it mm-hmm. in a way that I don't associate with like the
0: with like a cheese Danish. Yeah. Yeah, I like the I like the um mm. the pastry around it. The the berry ones are dope.
1: All right, just finished my cheese. Really good with the maple syrup. So Yeah now i know
0: i think i've had them as part of a breakfast before Mm.
1: oh yeah oh yeah that's good that's good stuff Mm. i love how this isn't like super super sweet Mm. Mm -hmm. even dipped in the maple syrup it's not like overwhelmingly cloying or anything even the berry Mm. like i'm looking at this i'm like oh is this jelly or something and you taste Mm -hmm. it and it's a lot more subtle in flavor than that
0: Mm. yeah the um i'm a big fan of the berry filling um and i definitely agree with you it's not like um it's not, a, it's not as porous as a pancake where it's like you pour maple syrup on pancakes and then you just have like a sponge full of maple syrup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, is, it, is a, it is a dish with some structural integrity to it. And very like aesthetically pleasing too. like the way that they're wrapped.
1: Sure. The texture of them in your mouth, like as you bite down and stuff, it's it's got like it has a little bit of a give to it, like it. Mm-hmm. it like it's got a chewiness. Even the center has like a little bit of a chewiness to it. That's mm-hmm. very pleasing. Blintzes are great. Oh, where have I been? <laughs> I've lived in this area for how long? I could have been getting JB's Deli Blintzes whenever I want. To be fair to us, um,
0: we, we live in a pretty diverse neighborhood, especially when it comes to food. True. Yeah. So I, w- I would say that, um, Blintzes.
1: Blintzes well, nosh with panache. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Um, for me, uh, especially the the berry blinces; those get a little a little um check mark next to their name
1: i might even like the, the cheese a little bit more but they're both excellent mm, yeah do we, do we have any more of that whitefish
0: yeah yeah we do
1: oh yeah okay good i'm glad i bought half a pound of that because
0: <laughs> yeah no we, yeah we've got we've got plenty you can have it
1: i'm gonna have a little more whitefish uh, tomorrow morning before i go into work oh
0: hell yeah you can have it We probably got enough for two meals awesome um great uh
1: so that does it for notch with panache or yeah. Deli flop.
0: Yeah, um, we've we have expa- expanded our palettes.
1: Yeah, um, we've grossed out a few of our listeners. Yeah, sorry, probably. we tried to edit out the, <laughs> the chewing noises as best sorry. we could.
0: Um, uh, yeah, and um, yeah, and, and, and if, do you feel like like you can you can empathize with the characters in the movie a little more? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: yeah. Uh, this has been a uh, cross cultural understanding. Mission. Yeah. And uh, now I feel like I could. I mean, it's, you know, it's basic empathy. Once you have someone's food, you basically know what it's like to be Jewish.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we've gotten all the nuances and the subtleties now. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, downloaded Hebrew into our brains like it's mm-hmm. the matrix. And- mm-hmm.
1: Retroactively had a bar mitzvah.
0: Yeah. It's great. Yeah. We've had our blintzes and now I think it's time for a digestif of another other segment. Yeah. Um. So for this segment, which is our, our digestif to our um, lovely meal that we just had. Mmm, um, <laughs> uh, We are going to rewrite the lyrics of a song together uh, to be about Judy Greer. And we're going to add in an element of chance where we're going to flip a coin. And okay. because this is a, as close to a Black Exploitation episode as this podcast is gonna get. Agreed. Um hence... we haven't seen
1: Marmaduke yet. We don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe Marmaduke is like an homage to Black Exploitation. We don't know. We haven't seen it yet. Um
1: Marmaduke's a top-of-the-heap parody? <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. <laughs>
0: um, but we're gonna flip a coin, and uh the the song that we're gonna parody is gonna be Pusher Man by Curtis Mayfield, if it's heads. And it's going to be the theme from Shaft by Isaac Hayes, if it's tales. And the name of the segment is Greer Gal Yankovic.
1: Oh, I like that. Thank you. Greer Gal Yankovic, that works. It took me literal seconds to think of. <laughs> now, the funny thing about this uh, dynamic we've chosen between Pusher Man and the Shaft theme song is that one of these is basically no work at all. And the other has a bit of intensive internal rhyming. <laughs> so... Let us discover what, which, uh, which of these other segments we are going to do—no right. effort or maximum effort.
0: I didn't even try to catch it because I don't look even more of an asshole when I fail. I just watch it fall. Anyway, it was tails, so we're doing the theme from Shaft.
1: All right, excellent.
0: All right. Um.
1: Now, first, uh huh. I think it's clear. That uh-huh. the refrain of
0: Shaft uh-huh. is
1: going to be Greer.
0: Yes. I agree. I'm just pulling up the... Both
1: Pusher Man and Shaft are songs uh, about the sort of prospective protagonists of their movies. Yes. So this is going to be us introducing to the world Judy Greer in the way that those songs introduce their characters. Judy
0: Greer as as an actress or as a a person not not in a not as a character in a specific movie.
1: All right. Um I'm just pulling up the lyrics here. Okay, so I I was thinking one line could be something like who's the DePaul grad that's bum thump bum mad or something like uh-huh. that. Like something that rhymes with like we we could say who's the DePaul grad who's something that rhymes with grad.
0: Uh-huh. Um, instead of grad we could also do like alum or alumna, if that's an easier rhyme. Who's the depaul? Doesn't
1: seem like it would be.
0: <laughs> I'm just I'm just putting options out there.
1: Who's oh, that might be better. Yeah. Who's the actor from DePaul who uh looks like a lady at the mall?
0: <laughs> she kinda does.
1: Mall rhymes way you can look up definitions you can just pull up a rhyming dictionary on the internet no one can stop you it's free (laughs) (sighs) who's the grad from depaul That, that, that 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 tracks better as well known for playing quirky oddballs
0: okay okay Who's the man? Okay, so then the next line is, who is the man that would risk his neck for his brother man? Do
1: you remember Michael Shannon talked about when Judy Greer steps on a set, everyone's like, oh, good, Judy's here. Yeah, yeah. Like, she just elevates everyone around. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think if we're talking about Judy Greer on this podcast as, like, this consistent utility player that just, like, mm-hmm. whatever part of the movie she's in gets mm-hmm. better. Um, that that seems to me to be the equivalent of that line from Shaft.
0: Right, right, right. Who is the
1: ensemble cast? If we do something that rhymes with cast, mm-hmm. who elevates an ensemble cast?
0: Who is the
1: who's the white lady with a nice ass who elevates an ensemble cast? Yeah, yeah. It's
0: just the problem is, it's like it's a very it's. A, it's only like four syllables that we have to work with. Who is the man? Who is the man?
1: Yeah, we can we can monkey around a little yeah, bit. With I guess. It. I guess. It's it's spoke singing. You know.
0: I suppose. Uh, who is the man that?
1: Who is the lass? Uh, I know you don't like slant rhymes, but.
0: You know, I'll I'll make an exception. I'm I. I had whitefish tonight. Anything can happen.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: wild uh um let's see who is the how about how about if if she's acting for you she'll be cheering up your cast and crew all
1: right yeah i i like that is it should it is, should it be if or when she's acting oh, for you yeah
0: it should be it should be when that's a little more uh Decisive. Yeah. If we're if we're writing her cover letter, it should definitely be when, not w- if.
1: When she's acting for you, she's cheering up your cast and crew.
0: hmm Who's the cat that won't cop out when there's danger all about?
1: That that line is what if that line, the equivalent of that line for Judy Greer would be she will work in any genre you place her in yeah like she's not going to take the easy route right of like i'm only in comedies i'm only in romantic comedies or whatever she will do an aporia as well as a uh addicted to fresno or whatever um should we try to (laughs) work some titles into one of these lines like should we do a thing where it's like from blank to blank Da, 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 da.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a good idea. But, um...
1: So let me look up what are the uh, Judy Greer film titles?
0: From Good Boy to.
1: Again, I you know what I was preparing for the worst uh, uh-huh. when I was thinking about this uh, other segment, uh-huh. and I was only thinking about Pusher Man things. Yeah. So I was <laughs> I know, like, So in my mind, I'm like, I'm like, damn! I have all these great lyrics for Pusher Man. What planet are you from? <laughs> <laughs> three Kings is a nice bip uh-huh. bip uh-huh. two syllables three from Three Kings, kings to, to, to
0: to yeah from,
1: from three things, things to the grand from. Or, but Three Kings is early in her career, so maybe we go From Three Kings to... And then something...
0: Um, from Three Kings to...
1: Oh, you know, she was in a movie in 2022 called Three Months.
0: <laughs> from Three Kings to
1: Three Months. Or, or maybe the other way okay, around. We'd have from Three, three months, months, to months to Three th- Kings.
0: Oh, okay. From Three Months to Three Kings. But then you have to write Kings with something. Because it's... Who's the cat that won't cop out when there's danger all about. Yeah. So, from From, from three, three Months, months to, to Three, three Kings... kings she'll and then it's something about how she'll be
1: in any genre she'll ring your bell ring a ding ding uh well yeah let's just pull up the rhyming dictionary again (laughs) ring rhyme this is this is how uh weird al works as well is it yeah he has a rhyming dictionary anything what about anything Uh uh-huh from three months to three kings she'll appear in anything something like that Uh something along those lines You can sing it and see how it feels.
0: From three months to three kings, she'll appear in anything. I, there's got to be another syllable in there, I think. She'll be
1: da 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 anything.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: Back to the drawing board. Doesn't have to rhyme with three kings.
0: Okay. Um, it could be. How about how about she can act in anything? Because that sounds a little more like positive.
1: From three months to three kings, she can act in anything. All right. It seems like those are two di- very different movies, too, as well. One of them seems like it's an earnest coming-of-age drama, and the other one is Three Kings, <laughs> 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 which is, it's Three Kings.
0: Okay, so from, so that's Greer, right on.
1: Right on. And you're going to be doing Isaac Hayes in this.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm frequently mistaken for Isaac Hayes, so it yeah. seems just a natural fit. Yeah. Then the bridge, the famous bridge. They say this cat shaft is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm talking about shafts. They say, well, this cat shaft is Judy Greer. So uh-huh. they, they say Judy Greer is...
1: W- a... w- uh, what, if, what if we say something along the lines of, we? they say Judy Greer's is always cast as a mother. Shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> this, they say Judy Greer is wasted as a mom. <laughs> Something like that where she's like, there's a lot of Judy Greer roles where she's just like looking at a child and being...
0: Yeah, <sighs> yeah, 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 that's true. Uh,
1: who understands Judy Greer? He's a complicated man, but no one understands him but his woman. Who Who is the equivalent? And this has got an internal rhyme here where it's like, he's a complicated yeah. man, but no one understands right, right, right. him but his woman. The LN doesn't right. actually need to rhyme. What we need to rhyme is one, two... Right, right. So she it's seven, has- seven uh, syllables, and then it's uh, mm. one, two, and then it's six syllables to understand. So it's
0: okay. What if, What if it's like she's a talented actress? She's a talented actress. And you don't, don't want to miss. And
1: you don't want to miss. And
0: like, what's a good role? Like, Aporia. Her
1: in Aporia. Her in. Let's Let's look up. Let's go back to the filmography here.
0: Yeah. All right. Okay. I think we have our parody song, and what every good parody song needs is a good karaoke track to sing it to. Yes. If one is not an accordion virtuoso. grad from DePaul who's known for playing quirky odd balls. Damn right. When she's acting for you, she's cheering up your cast and crew. Can you dig it? From three months to three kings She can act in anything Greer! Right on
1: He's casting Judy Greer as a bored mother Shut your mouth Talking about Greer Yeah, I've seen Jurassic World She's a talented actress
0: And you don't want to miss her in Good Boy
1: Judy Greer If you could have seen the fucking janky ass setup we had to try to get all that yeah.
0: <laughs> we're sitting here shit talking a movie that was made for a million dollars and like oh they rented out a warehouse whereas like i'm trying to do like like yoga contortions to see the the piece of paper i wrote on <laughs> and get my look mouth against the mic if <laughs> the
1: point of this podcast is a competition between us and jonathan kesselman into who can write a better shaft parody then our hat's off to you, Jonathan Kesselman.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I mean, r- really, no, uh, no arguments from me.
1: You did it. You much, beat us. Much
0: respect. So, uh, speaking of comparisons, that yeah. leads us to our very last part of the podcast, which is Judilization. So, um, all the movies that we watch with Judy Greer in them, we ask ourselves, uh, how well was Judy Greer used... By the director in this movie. Uh, were her talents brought to the forefront or was she just another bored mother? Shut your mouth. Um, and we call that judilization. That's right. Um, we have 16 films currently uh, on the list. Um, at number one, we have Eric LaRue, which mm-hmm. we saw very recently uh and down at 16 we have in memory of my father
1: which we can't get further away from if we wanted to
0: right and then right in the middle we have the descendants that's right uh to give you a little uh waypoint um so patrick do you have a general sense of where you want hebrew hammer to fall on this list
1: i think we can safely put it above lolly love
0: okay i'd agree
1: i would say second per second judy greer is better utilized but like she's just barely in lolly love even yeah. if she even if she is funny in the 30 seconds she gets yeah you're we're we're getting more uh d- diverse uh comedy greer yeah from, yeah from sure. uh, hebrew hammer
0: for sure how would you say that she compares to uh in hebrew hammer to her role in the descendants
1: very tr- again descendants always tricky for me because yeah. i just do not like that movie nor her part of the movie. Um, my gut instinct is that this goes above Lolly Love and below the descendants. What do you think?
0: Um Yeah, I always I always struggle with Judilization when it comes to the descendants because she has uh like two scenes where it's like like a very sort of cut and dry, you know, wife slash mom just kinda being being a, a wife slash mom, just making small talk with George Clooney kind of hottie thing. Hottie in the hat, and yeah, she's a hottie in the hat. That's right, that's right. And then you have that that last scene in the hospital room where she just has that monologue and is just sort of like, you know, at eleven with her emotions, and it's it's just such a um, such a a, a a weird. It's it's such a departure from the previous scenes it almost feels like it's two different characters so i do find descendants very difficult um to compare to other movies as as opposed to this movie where it's like it's very consistent about like who she is and, and the kind of energy that she's bringing into mm-hmm. the role um
1: would we both agree that this does not go above adaptation
0: i i will agree with that um
1: so we are talking about does this go above descendants or below descendants? I
0: think it you know, I think it goes above descendants. Okay. Um, I just think I'm I mean, she she's great at being tearful, you know. Um, but I I I just feel like a lot of that performance in the in the hospital room scene at the end of descendants kind of comes out of nowhere almost where it's like she's just being so inappropriate um but you don't really see her own build up to that right it is it's just sort of this like lightning bolt of acting
1: as a a quick aside having just seen the holdovers how how vindicated do you feel about the like uh our our perhaps uh, against the grain take on the Descendants being trash.
0: Oh, yeah. No, now t- that you
1: recently saw a different Alexander yeah, Payne dramedy. Yeah,
0: totally, totally justify <laughs> The holdovers is, is, oh my God, l- miles ahead. Miles ahead of the Descendants. Um, but that's probably a discussion for another podcast. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So I would say that, you know, at least, I mean, as, as you brought up, like, you know, Esther is largely uh, jokes that are stereotypes about Jewish women and she's kind of a delivery system for that. But at least there's a consistency there. And I think Judy Greer just does a better job with that role than another actress might, who's just cast to be like the girl in the comedy where she so, so sometimes you see, an actress who is the girl in the comedy and they kind of seem like they don't know why they're on camera. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't mean to name names, but Jenny Fisher, Jenna Fisher in Dewey Cox <laughs> kind of feels like that. Um, And I feel like I, I'm sure that a lot of that just has to do with like, you know, a lack of guidance, uh, from a director and like, like a lack of, you know, kind of getting that, that feedback that you need to kind of know what's going, you know, what you look like and where you fit in. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think Judy Greer does a really good job of kind of, um, finding her own, uh, Piece of turf in a movie and kind of settling in it and and making it her home and I think that does uh, kind of show up in in this movie where it's like you have the scenes where like uh, where Mordecai and his mother are just going at each other and she's just kind of in the middle of it and just kind of reacting to it and just kind of like you know kind of like wanting to roll her eyes but kind of like masking it with her glass of wine and stuff like that I I just think that that's a lot more interesting than um than what she does in the Descendants and. I think what she does in this in the descendants is like, she does a great job, but I, I just don't think that it's unique to her like talents as much as the, the good job that she does with Esther.
1: You know, I, I, I was thinking through most of that uh, speech that we were going to have to flip a coin. Cause I wasn't convinced. And I I think you did convince me. I think this okay. needs to go above descendants, but below adaptation as the new number eight
0: yes the new number eights, um like the number of nights in hanukkah
1: oh happy hanukkah <laughs> to you and yours i did think it was funny that when the teacher commands all of the kids to wish him a happy hanukkah huh none of their voices are in sync because yeah. none of them pronounce it the same way yeah yeah I yeah that was, was... A, i thought that was a good joke
0: yeah that was pretty that was that was pretty good um yeah, so, uh, yeah, ha- happy Hanukkah, um, to all who celebrate Hanukkah from your friends here at 96 Careers. Um, and, uh, I-, I think we would like to maybe extend our, um, our love and-, and solidarity to all of you out there who aren't big fans of Christmas. Yeah. For, you know, either for whatever reason. Yeah, for whatever reason. And there's a lot of good reasons to not to have weird feelings about Christmas. And, uh, I think I speak for Patrick and myself when I say that we are in that boat with you, and it's 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 a really emotionally laden um, time of year that isn't always as uh, it does. It doesn't look like a Hallmark movie for everyone, and sometimes it looks a little bit like like Andy Dick yelling slurs. Uh, <laughs> True. So so we just we just uh, you know we, we see you. We're there with you, and, and we're wishing you the best this holiday season.
1: Or, or often a, a Kmart anxiety nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. So much of Christmas is <laughs> just a Kmart, Kmart anxiety, anxiety nightmare.
0: nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Even if that's online for you this year, it's real. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 96 Careers is part of the Now Playing Podcast Network. Check out nowplaying.net uh, for your other. Um, Pop culture media podcasts. You can find us online on Mastodon at 96 Griers at laserdisc.party. You can email us at 96 greers at proton.me. Um, you can find me on Letterboxd at Panda Bear Shape.
1: And you can find me on Instagram and Blue Sky uh, as Uptown Song Club.
0: Our next episode is going to be the 2011 indie dramedy, Jeff Who Lives at Home. Um, And until then, I'm Reg. And I'm Patrick. And And say goodbye to these.